0: Who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out?
1: We did!
0: Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Gundog Podcast. Firstly, uh, Jim and I would like to publicly apologise for how long it's taken us to get this episode out. We literally have no excuse. We've just been very busy, just kind of enjoying the weather and training dogs, and it just literally got away from us every time. We tried to sit down and do one, didn't we? We've been blown off our feet, Um, yes, we've been
1: keeping busy as well, which is good, and a bit of sunbathing here and there with the nice weather. We didn't contract, sign a contract to say we'd release one every week though. I'm sure we
0: made a slight promise. Uh, was it, yeah i think we made i think if we go back we might we might have made a promise i don't but want to go back and i don't want to go back and dwell on anyway dwell. we're here now and that's all that matters we live in the now better to ask forgiveness than permission exactly
1: exactly so yes we hope your isolation is going okay and you're all doing well and staying safe uh we have a new Instagram account at the gundog podcast that's where we'll be providing everyone with updates on how we're getting along with recording and what we're going to be talking about in there Coming episodes, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, then get in touch with
0: us through that, please. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so, what we're we talking about today, Ben? Well, this week, Jim, we're going to be talking about other breeds, mainly the extreme majestic golden retriever, but also other breeds that we've encountered throughout our times tra- throughout our years of training. Not pointers. I'm going to clarify that now. We're saving pointers for when. Uh, our good friend Chris can join us, whether that is by by telephone or hopefully in person once this lockdown is over, uh, as he is our self-styled pointer guru, the and pointer he, maestro, and he won't mind us saying that because he's you know he's just he's a bit of a pro when it comes to <coughs> it comes to pointers. He'll give you some great pointers for
1: sure. Uh, we also have Harry, a good friend of the podcast, coming on. Uh, to talk uh, all about his meat, really. Uh, He started a movement called Game Meat March. He
0: loves talking about
1: his meat. So he's doing a virtual Q&A session, uh, and that's coming up, so stay tuned for that. So before we get going, we would like to quickly announce with great delight that we are now sponsored by Smokeless UK, the place to get all your shooting, clothing, and equipment. A really great British brand with friendly customer service to provide you with a very practical and versatile clothing for all your outings from a quick dog walk in the park
0: to a long day's hunting. They are a supplier of some of the best wellies on the market, including my own current wellies which are an absolute dream to wear on a daily basis. They also do equestrian clothing and equipment and even though horses are not our speciality the clothing is still comfortable and practical. So go check them out on their Insta at UK and on their website.
1: The need for a good wild fowling dog became apparent in the mid-19th century when advancement in firearms meant that fowl could be shot at greater distance and over more difficult terrain. Sir Dudley Marjorie Banks, who stayed in the Scottish Highlands, recognised this, and the breed began when he bought a yellow dog and a wavy-coated retriever litter and cross-bred him with the tweed water spaniel. At a slightly later date, the Irish Setter, Bloodhound and St John's Water Dog were introduced. It really did turn out to be the perfect cocktail for Dudley and his wild fouling exploits, and so it continued on to produce the strong and hard-working, yet gentle and trainable gun dog we all know and love today—the golden retriever. It turns out you can't get more Scottish than the golden
0: retriever. No. Who knew? I, I knew, because I did some research. That's so. No. Obviously, I'd like to pose this question to you—you you doing the research and everything? Yeah. Do you believe that in the next 10 years we're going to we're going to see no working strains of golden retriever in the field and it'll all be down to the show because as we know most of the golden retrievers that come through here either for training or just you know just boarding are show goldies.
1: Yeah, no I think uh, I think it would could get close to that. I don't think it ever would like completely die out because there is you know not us but um we've, we've kind of talked about having a golden retriever um just going be something different but there are people who do love them and love them for working them i know one woman who, who picks up on a shoot i went to uh with four lovely very well-trained golden retrievers and very good workers so i think people you know there is enough people that that love them and breed them and want to kind of keep them going that it will carry on but it will definitely you know Numbers will reduce, I think, but I don't think that they would ever run out. Even though the the show is obviously very popular, and a lot of the golden retrievers you meet are very, I mean, the, the characteristic-wise, they are very playful and loving dogs. Anyway, but obviously
0: they take a while to develop. Don't yeah, they're, they're quite immature, well
1: so so they you know they are very playful, which is a really nice thing, and it's what make what makes them you know perfect for a family as a pet or also you know a working pet um but yeah the shows the sh- the show golden retrievers have just really taken off um and you know that they're they're all the rage I would say just now um you know talking of grooming as well you know they most dog owners love nothing better to do than give their dog a nice brush and if you're looking for that in your dog look no further than the golden retriever a daily brush sometimes even twice a day because they've got this uh, very thick coat, which which sheds
0: copiously. But of course, going back to working, well, there there has been some success. Is there, as kind of recent as the twenty nineteen uh, retriever championships, where uh, where there were four qualified, four gun retrievers qualified, and one of them actually got a diploma of merit oh, and really? gun's choice. Yeah, think twice, zero to hero, Nathan, um, Laffey's dog. I have to double check that. I think that's his name. Shit, I can't have say. You, have I you not can't say something? Easy. I can't say something like that. Why not? Double check. Well, I can, but like
1: Ben, where's your notes? Come on, here we go. We're into this podcast. Um, yeah. So obviously, the the working side of the can yes. be very good working dogs. Oh, well. right.
0: Well done. Sorry, yeah, Nathan Laffey. Well done, Nathan. Golden retriever. Think twice, here to hero. Lovely looking dog. <clears throat> you want to give him a Google? Lovely looking dog. So
1: the yeah the the retriever championship is obviously the big retriever championship they have every year, um, and the IGL the International gun Dog. IGL is, is that what we say? Yeah, oh, <laughs> I
0: don't realise you were the announcer for I was the, the IGL. I did that. With everybody's dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All all. <laughs> Introducing, <up> and... <laughs> standing it. Oh, I don't what the average. <laughs> twenty
1: two to twenty four inches for male and twenty to twenty two for female. There we go. That's That's the shoulders. I don't know if that's the bottom of the Withers The Withers is the top of the shoulders. I guess it'd be the top. Probably, yeah. Um Yeah, so so very good working dogs and obviously the, the yeah, the IGL is you just reminded me the uh the IGL retreat championship that they have every year. Um, I don't know when that started actually, but there's been four winners of it that have been golden retrievers, um, which is which is a good stat for for definitely the the minority population of the retriever um, group. Obviously, the labradors being the the main one, all, always dominating the retriever championships. But it's nice to see the goldens kind of coming coming into their own um, a little bit, and yeah, they obviously can be very capable working dogs. Very soft mouths apparently as well. That's why they were, you know, they were obviously bred for the wildfowling and carrying wildfowl not so much. You know, they've got they've got very kind of thick fur and skin, um, fur feathers rather. Um, the, the the duck and geese and quite big birds, but apparently very soft mouth for other game as well, um, which is a which is a real bonus because there's been a few dogs that we've come across that have, you know, a bit too you know, clamp their jaw on, on dummies and then on game and it's just is not a very good trait to have. So a self muff is a very very desirable trait. Um but in nineteen thirteen the Kennel Club registered the breed as a separate variety called Golden or Yellow Retriever. Um but it was only seven years later in nineteen twenty when the Golden Retriever became um an official registered breed. So it's been one hundred years is that quite a sense? I think not. I think not. That we are Where? promoting the gun, the gold retriever, on their hundredth anniversary of the uh, of registration to the kennel club.
0: I think we should get one each. Let's do it right now. Let's order one. All right. Okay. Let's do it. Um, but as you mentioned, I think it would be lovely to have a breed like that. At least knocking about the house. I couldn't. I don't think they kennel particularly well with their coat, as we know from. You know, ken- kenneling a spaniel, they can get pretty matted and, at some points, and you can imagine a dog of their size and of their kind of their working traits, they're going to get pretty, pretty. You have to keep on top of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, and they're they are yeah they're a bit immature as well. So you know, but also playful. So having the interaction with people, I think, is very important. You know, more so than a a, a spaniel or a Labrador. Who are quite happy in their own company. You know the the the, retreat, the golden retriever probably needs more attention when they're younger, um, and that's obviously why the, the kennel situation doesn't always work. But every dog's different, so you, you know there's no reason why you can't have golden retrievers in the kennels. There's no reason why you can't have I don't know
0: crazy cockers in the house, or a pig, a pig, a miniature pig, a miniature pig. I might start training those. Yeah. Why not?
1: Have you seen those miniature pigs they have where they buy them as a miniature pig but they're only miniature
0: because they're piglets and then they grow to be like <laughs> enormous. I saw a picture of one where it was sat with the family dog Yeah, and, like, waiting to be fed some... And it was like absolutely massive.
1: Yeah, and then obviously the people kind of become a bit too attached but so they just have this massive pig wandering around their house. We should get that. I'm up for that. A massive pig?
0: Yeah. But obviously, again, it's a baby. Add
1: that to the shopping basket. Can we have two working golden retrievers, one large pig,
0: <laughs> but as a baby. By the end of this podcast, we're going to have a, a whole zoo. Well, speaking of zoos, oh god. I have just invested in 24 fertilized uh, gray partridge eggs. Yeah. Which you want to bring this soon. up on the podcast, didn't you? I did want to bring this up. I want to bring it up as soon as possible. Yeah. And you know what? I don't care about the retrievers, Jim. <laughs> I was literally just waiting for this so I could talk about it.
1: I suggested making your own podcast to talk about your partridges. Ben's partridge
0: parts. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, um, but did... yeah, so we've got the incubator set up. We have been incubating some hen's eggs, so we're still waiting for them to hatch. Just as a little kind of trial run. <laughs> But yeah, it's Jen really and like I have um, partridge uh, are very much looking forward to um, raising these partridges and we're going to build a nice pen for them and, and use them for a bit of training for the dogs, which would be quite nice. And of course supporting the grey partridge, which is of course in decline. Is it? Yeah. Well, the, the partridges around are, are pink legs, which are French. Oh uh, yeah, they're true. Yeah. So, um, and the greys, uh, yeah, are very much in decline and, um, yeah. Well. So, um. Sporting British. Are you well happy well. you've got over your chest? Now. I have, yeah, Can and we, I will be. Just let everyone know. <laughs> Jim won't be doing this, but I will be posting on the Instagram regular updates <laughs> on how the eggs are getting <laughs> on and and I how the I will be deleting on. them. And you, yeah. So just make sure that you kind of you watch very really closely <clears throat> for when when a post comes up about eggs. Okay. Can we get back to Golden Retrievers? Let's get back to Golden Retrievers. Okay, thank you. All. That'd be great. A uh, funny
1: stat which I found, um, which I j- just brought up with you off air, but I think we should share it on air it it's so funny. funny about the the, tri- the golden retrievers trialling.
0: You've written funny underneath I it. Have. i have underlined it funny. Yeah, I found,
1: <laughs> found a little note in a book and I underlined it and wrote funny because it is quite funny because they said in this book there have been more than 100 field trial champions in the history of the breed and many have won any variety as well as single breed stakes. So basically what that means on any variety stake, so if it's a, any variety retriever steak, that could be, uh, obviously, it will most likely be all Labrador retrievers, but obviously the golden retriever, the curly-coated retriever, the... the flat coat, The flat coat, the Chesapeake Bay retriever, if you wanted to. but Duck-Tolling,
0: Nova Scotia Duck-Tolling retriever. Exactly,
1: it could be any, but obviously it's only ever going to be the Labrador and maybe a couple of goldens. So they've obviously won in them, which is great, but the single-breed stakes are separate breeds so the Golden Retriever that's a stake the Labrador tree, that's a stake so what they're claiming in this little fact is that as well as the any variety stakes which is a good achievement up against Labradors they also have won in single breed stakes and obviously if you can connect the dots to there that means that when there is a stake of 16 Golden Retrievers running against each other the winner was a Golden Retriever <laughs> I mean wow no. that's <laughs> So
0: that, I thought I was quite. I feel yeah, I feel you you you're enjoying this fact. You're also <laughs> slightly outraged. There's a little edge. Yeah, to a little bit because there. it's like it's
1: a nonsense fact. There have been over 100 field truck champions. It's like clearly there was like 97 in, in any variety, and they thought, well, just chuck in a couple of single breed steaks <laughs> yeah. as well. Let's say over 100. That sounds a little better. Anyway, a wee fact for y'all. Do you
0: know what the average life expectancy of a golden retriever is? I'm gonna guess from the size of the breed, about ten to twelve years. Uh, I'll take that. I'll take that. It is twelve years
1: that is the average, apparently. Um, Obviously, larger breeds, very similar to the labs. I think the labs are twelve to fourteen, but on average, they'd probably be about you know twelve or thirteen. I'd say as well. I can't really remember. This is Labrador Week, so I've not been researching them.
0: Yeah, I didn't even... This is far better than my Labrador Week. You're going right into it. (laughs) It's now time to chat about some more exotic breeds that we've trained. Is it? Yes, it is. Insert jingle. Do we have a jingle? No, we don't have a jingle. Exotic breeds!
1: Mmm.
0: Exotic breeds. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. So, my one... I'm not sure how many we're going to do. Depends on how the, how the podcast is running at the minute. It's running fairly well in my eyes. <laughs> but the one that I really wanted to focus on was uh, a lovely dog called Reggie. And Reggie was a uh, Brittany Spaniel. A what, you ask, mm-hmm. Jim? A what? I, a Brittany Spaniel. Hailing from... Brittany, the northern part of France, but has absolutely nothing to do with a spaniel whatsoever. It is a HPR breed. By by design. I yeah.
1: I we said no pointers.
0: Oh no. Oh no. But he's not technically he's a spaniel. <laughs> well,
1: right? you just said he's not a spaniel. Well, he is
0: a spaniel by <laughs> name, but not okay. by nature. But no, okay, fine. We'll we'll let you away with it. But um, but yeah, a really strong athletic dog, really lovely, a lot of difficulties to begin with, a lot of difficult gif- difficulties, not only getting over his eyes, yes. the eyes of a human, <laughs> <laughs> honestly he had some form of like deeper kind of intellectual thought. That yeah, I that. mean you've spoken about this recently about
1: dogs that have human faces, some have really human faces, but some, something about certain dogs, like. Just that, the the shape of the eyes being more round or whatever, um, it does give them... And, or certain, like, eyebrows and some of those you can see, he gives them human, like,
0: features. And you were obviously saying that Reggie was... Reggie here was, yeah, he'd, like, he like look you in the eyes and, like, you, you thought he was about to talk to you. <laughs> Full-on trippy, man. Full-on trippy. But anyway, it was obviously... The dog came in, um, his... His owner at the time wanted him to be steadier on game because at the at that point he'd had the taste of chasing a pheasant or two, which for a Brittany Spaniel when they go full pace they are quick, mm. and of and his his job his nature is to be out on the stubble fields running, kind of twenty thirty yards further in front of the guns you know running like absolute buggery from left to right and then point and stopping on point to point out game for them to eventually flush and shoot but he'd never fully understood or had the chance to be taught how to point properly so he was just chase 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 so it was a very very uphill battle with him when it came to kind of slowing him down making him understand that the real enjoyment is in finding the game but not in chasing it which is hard once they start to chase once it once they've and got taste.
2: How,
0: how fun that is but I just feel like he was so much more keyed into finding game and finding the scent than I'd ever seen a, a, another dog before. Well, because he'd been allowed to chase them, quite often the the kind of wild dogs
1: that do chase them, they like chasing them, so they're better at finding them. They've got that much more freedom. That's That's, you know, it's... It happens quite a lot. You see lots of wild dogs that are always the first and good for picking up, I suppose, having a few wild dogs just tearing around because they're the, one, the ones that will find them. Whereas dogs that are really focused on the handler and really in control, you know, they're maybe not going to be finding things as quickly because they're not as independent. Um, but obviously you don't want dogs running away from you and chasing things. That's that can be a bit of a nightmare
0: and yeah it, it took about two weeks well just over a week for him to actually register my existence <laughs> he'd flat out ignore me and I'm talking really just pretend like I wasn't there for the first for the first week and a half of taking him out on, a, on some training sessions doesn't that happen but, with everyone do you meet Ben everybody yeah maybe it's you then Maybe no, it's just me everyone just ignoring you Everyone's just ignoring me Flat, flat out ignoring you <laughs> Do you even remember my name? No, it's, um, no. Come on, John. Uh, hey, hey. <laughs> but um, but uh, oh, I <laughs> But once I'd got his trust, it was like it was a, a, another kind of bond. And you kind of read about them being very loyal dogs, very very intelligent, and they really are. They really. It didn't take a lot once I got his once I got his trust to kind of convince him that chasing game wasn't the be all and end all. And by the end of the train, by the end of the the time that we had him. Um I had him happily hunting quite close, which was a bit alien to him, so he wouldn't it wasn't as natural for him to hunt close, but he'd happily hunt close, you know, be able to be on a scent for for a bit of game or flush some game and just stop. And um for me that was that was quite a big achievement. I actually by the end of the season, uh, managed to take him out beating with me and got his first retrieve on a wounded partridge, and that was perhaps one of the proudest moments of my career to date. It was wonderful. Wow, a little tear. Because until that point he'd had no interest in retrieving whatsoever. It was such an such an alien kind of way of of training. Yeah. Which is, you know, normally a lot of the time you use the retrieve as a reward. Yeah. You know, so when a when a spaniel you play the stock whistle for a spaniel when he's hunting, you know, you throw the retrieve for them to go get it as a as a reward from, you know, flushing it like flushing game it being shot and, and sending them for it obviously. But for him, you, you know, he'd he'd happily stop and he'd happily, you know, kind of listen to you and and do anything you wanted. But you throw a even kind of like a, you know, a, a pheasant or a partridge, a cold pheasant or partridge, and he still would run over to it, give it a sniff, and be like, you know what, nah, this isn't this isn't up to me. And then it, all it took was you know just a a wounded one just to get his attention, and then it was. Fantastic! Really nice, easy uh, retriever. Lovely Not soft mouth. Back. Lovely soft mouth. Not the usual rat trap mouths, mouths you kind of expect sometimes from pointers. <gasps> yeah, <gasps> I said the p word. Oh no, the oh, p, p no, word, <laughs> the p word. But um, Peter, Peter. But uh, but talking about picking up, I have seen um, on a few on kind of a few occasions people actually having Brittany's in their picking up team.
1: Oh, really, I've, I don't think I've ever seen a Brittany at work. I've
0: seen it in pictures, but I've never seen it. Um, never seen it in the flesh.
1: Yeah, I had I, I did a couple of lessons with somebody who had a Brittany Spaniel, and did a bit of uh, training with them, and he was equally as wild, and or maybe maybe not as wild as you think. He, he he was he was actually okay. It was just kind of fine tuning him, but he he didn't run away so much. He was quite independent, but he did stay close, which made it a bit easier. But they're just they're just yeah, they're just looking for things to do. Very you know the opposite of what we've just been talking about the Golden Retrievers. Very independent and very, you know, just happy. to Yeah, do that's how they
0: are, aren't they? I think a lot of the setter and pointing breeds. Oh no, sorry. no, no! I, 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 this is the last thing I'm going to say about it. Okay, they're usually very, very independent. But yeah. we I, will cover that. We will cover that on that's the pointing head soon. Don't you um, worry. But um, I've really enjoyed training him. It was a real pleasure, a real challenge, and I and it's definitely piqued my interest in looking to get one and seeing, obviously. I'd be looking to get help with it. I wouldn't embark on something like that by myself. I'd look to get a lot of advice, and I think a lot of people should when looking at breeds like these. Yeah, and not just get them because they seem exotic or interesting, or because a lot of the time they can be too much for people. Yeah, as really. much as a a cocker could be too much for somebody, or a Springer could be too much for somebody. These are just on a a higher plane of just. It may yeah. seem interesting, and oh, well, you know, everyone else has Labradors. I, I'm, I'm going to try this. But really, you know, perhaps everyone has Labradors because for a a first-time dog, there's a reason for it. Well, we touched on it when
1: we talked about the Labradors and the fact that people, you know, see Labradors as being too popular. But, excuse me, there is a reason they are that popular. Um, It's because they're very reliable and, you know, you know what you're getting into. There's a lot of people who, as you've just said, they're, they're looking elsewhere because they want something more exciting. But... It's exciting because it's something different. They're not actually doing the research on the breed. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting a Britney Spaniel or any other, you know, different breed, but you, you do have to make sure you do your research on that
0: specific breed. And talk to people that know what they're talking about. Yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. And, and, get, and, get, and they can get you in touch with the right people, with you know, breeding the right kind of dogs, and, and you know, that's, that's the most important thing. Good girl, come on. Good girl. Fucking and a roll, and rock and a roll with me.
1: Beautiful, thanks. So my experience with uh, exotic breeds, which maybe not that exotic, uh, would be the the Spanish water dog, or I I thought it was called the Spanish water spaniel. But yeah, so did I. But I, on my research, I found it's actually just the Spanish water dog. So I don't know why they called this. I I don't know. I, maybe I've just made it up. I don't, I don't know. think you have because they're, they're very they? spaniel size. I mean, they're, the so the Spanish water dog uh, is a very shaggy kind of coated, very similar to a cockapoo. Um, and I would say cocker cockapoo spaniel, so <clears throat> similar shape and size and build. Um, but yes, like the name suggests, uh, they were used in Spain as uh, sheep dogs and guard dogs, and sometimes gun dogs. That's wow. what they were a real used for, so they I think, I think yeah, yeah. spanish army knife Spanish army knife exactly, and yeah so i I think they were used originally as sheep dogs, they were bred for for sheep dogs, and then they were they they obviously developed a bark, which people thought let's try them using the guard dog, and being quite clever dogs uh, like you know like sheep dogs um quite quite biddable and trainable um so they they decided to use them as gun dogs as well, uh, and there are still a few that have been used as gun dogs over here. I don't know of any. So I trained one called Mutley, a really lovely chocolate one, and uh, he was not a working one. So he just came for a bit of training, and he was he was he was fine. He was a lovely dog. Uh, his one flaw, which wasn't really a flaw, but it was quite funny because obviously Spanish water dog, he hated water. He refused to go in. And it took off a lot of coaxing and going in swimming with him to get him swimming, um, because he was just having none of it. And obviously, you do get some dogs that are tentative of, of water the first time. But he was a bit older; he was just over a year, and he'd he'd always been funny with water. And yeah, so it's just it does just show how far dogs can come from the the breeding, and then uh, you know the, the the breeders of this new breed think, ah, I shall call it the the Spanish water dog. Um, or the, her- the great Italian breeder, <laughs> the great yeah. the Spanish water dog. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then uh, and then a hundred years later, two hundred years later, uh, here we are with with Spanish water dogs that don't like water. Um, you know, in a hundred years' time, will Labrador retrievers hate
0: retrieving? They'll just be Labrador dogs. Labradors, yeah. Labrador dogs. Labrador. What a thought, hey Wow, sobering. Yeah, I know. Especially after I've had a few. Well, I have had a few beers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's very much. It's very much like the Irish Water Spaniel. Yes. Which have very little in common with an actual
2: spaniel.
1: Yeah, so they're slightly smaller than the, than the Irish Water Spaniel. Um, the, the Irish Water Spaniel is more like a standal, standard standard poodle size, like pretty leggy. Um, these guys are a bit smaller, a bit shorter. Um yeah so they kind of come in uh weighing around the 15 to 15 to 20 kilo mark. So you know an average sized springer nowadays basically that's, that's what you're looking at. Um life expectancy of 10 to 14 years, quite a wide bracket there. Uh and they're obviously hypoallergenic or maybe not obviously, but they are. So so that's maybe their their popular, popularity is due to that. Obviously there's a lot of Popularity nowadays with hypoallergenic dogs, um, uh, such as um, uh, all the doodles or all the, the doodles and the, doodles the and, doodles, the, and, the, doodles, and, and the poos and the everything like that the cockapoos is what I was meaning. The poos. It's so immature. Um, the 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 complete opposite to the the extremely allergic to, or what's the opposite of hypoallergenic? Just allergenic, maybe.
0: Allergenic, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, the golden retriever. Very allergenic. It, very allergenic.
1: Very okay. allergenic. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, uh, apparently they, these dogs, um, temperament-wise, have um, found, and obviously through my experience with, with Little Muttley, affect, affectionate, intelligent, diligent, loyal, athletic, and trainable. So,
0: can they all try?
1: Uh... I can't cast my opinion on that with just one dog.
0: But out of this dog was it? But out of this
1: dog I would say affectionate yes intelligent questionable <laughs> diligent no <laughs> loyal I, I didn't he wasn't my dog so I, that, I that's a, I'm going to have to avoid that question. Uh, athletic yeah he was quite athletic he was pretty speedy actually he was very quick he'd keep up with some of the labs um, when they were kind of you know, striding out as Lab's do, kind of galloping almost, and his little legs, and he was, yeah, pretty speedy. Uh, Trainable? Uh, Yeah, I think so, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, there we go. Little checklist. He'd pass. He'd pass. Yeah, he'd he'd get through, probably like 6% pass.
1: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. If they lower the the mark, the percentage for an A, he'd get that.
0: Yeah, if it was a
1: COVID-19... Yeah, exactly, which is uh, we need people to pass, so let's pass them at a lower grade. Um, Yeah, so there we go.
0: That's Muttley. Lovely exotic breed.
1: (laughs) It's now time to head over to Stirlingshire to hear from good friend of the podcast, Harry, who wants to talk all about his meat.
2: Hello, and thank you for what I'm sure will have been a sparkling introduction from Jim and Ben. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm not in control of what they were saying as I'm recording this in isolation from Stirlingshire. Um, I am following a set of questions which Jamie and Ben have written for me, so we're doing a virtual interview style here. So I will crack on with the questions. So uh, first of all, introduce myself and give some information on Game Meat March. So my name is Harry Hutchison. And um, recently, at the beginning of the year, I started a campaign called Game Meat March, which is a campaign to get more people eating game, both who have are involved in the shooting industry and those who are not as well. So... Uh, The actual format of the campaign was a month in March of only eating game as meat and also eating as much as we could just British vegetables so that basically this is a more environmentally friendly alternative to veganuary which of course normally involves shipping vegetables from all over the world, lots of air miles. This was the opposite. It was locally sourced meat, wild meat and British vegetables. Um, So... The response for this, um, swiftly moving on to the next question, uh, was really good. Actually, Um, we had a great response. We had big support from the British Game Alliance um, and Talking Game magazine were really helpful, um, really supportive of us. We had some big chefs getting involved. Um, Jose Olsuto was very good at mentioning us and um, posting recipes for us and that kind of thing. Also, we made it onto the Field Sports Britain channel news, which was very exciting. Um, And mainly though, it was just great to see lots of people posting and posting recipes, hashtagging Game Eat March, tagging us, that kind of thing. So it really, um, really took off actually. It was really good to see. Um, And then my next question on the list, how important is it do you think it is to eat locally sourced game? Um, So I think locally sourced or not, I think locally sourced is obviously a bonus. eating game for me the importance of it is just knowing exactly where my foods come from and that is a kind of overused term but you know not going into supermarket and picking up some mysterious packet and you have had no idea about that animal's life and you know I think in our generation a lot of people are just so detached from where that meat might have come from or the fact that it even actually was an animal. Um, So for me it's knowing it's had a good life and a wild life and also importantly, knowing it's had a humane death. Um, so yeah, for me that's that's the um the main importance. Um the nutritional value of game is also a really kind of big factor for me because it's um and also for big, big shredders like the Mordor team, who I know have been getting very involved in the Joe Wicks workouts, um, uh, because it's very high in protein and also very low in fat. Um pretty much all game is is like this. Um, so it's good for the, the Mordor shredders. Um, and yeah, and it's very tasty as well. Um, so my next question on Jim and Ben's list, uh, during isolation, it must be handy having a fully stocked freezer from the shooting season. Have you got much stock left as Ben and I are now completely out with a couple of desperate sounding exclamation marks and question marks. Um, so yes, it's, At this time of year, people do start to run out. Um, The thing I find is that it's just about kind of getting prepared early in the season. Um, You know, when you're in December or November shooting, you might be thinking, I don't need to take pheasants or I don't need to take many pheasants because I've got plenty in the freezer to last me the next week or two or the next month even. But actually what you should be thinking is those few months of the shooting season, are you stocking up your game for the year? Um, and you know you can use pheasant in pretty much any chicken recipe so i I try and pretty much not use chicken now just use pheasant so every time you're at a shoot and you're thinking about not taking any birds or only taking a couple just think if everyone takes you know five brace six brace of pheasants on a normal shoot day there's going to be no wastage and you you are sorted for the year and it doesn't take long to quickly whip the breasts out when you get home Um, i'm also lucky because i do quite a bit of deer management um so i've got Quite a lot of venison in the freezer, um, so that kind of tides me over out of the winter shooting season. Um, so yes, that is that. And also, poor boys, if you are running out, I will pop over and give you some some game if you're if you're needy. Um, so next question is, of course, this is the gun podcast. So what experience have you had with gun dogs, and did any help you pick game throughout the season? Um, so I my experience with gun dogs. A few years ago, I was at the Highland Show and watching a brilliant demonstration by Joe Hipwell of Sealpin Gun Dogs, and it absolutely fascinated me. So I kind of nervously stumbled over afterwards and asked for some work experience, which then turned into two years working with Joe, um, which was really really good fun. I was working with loyal labs, sort of spaniels full of beans, and also a handful of absolutely mental pointers, which these guys met and I'm sure we'll tell you about. Um, Jamie used to regularly remind me at the perfect moment, whenever I had a dog that was misbehaving or in a situation where, you know, we had a sort of our smart seal pin trailer parked, all branded up and I had a dog doing the wrong thing, he would just quietly come up behind me and comment that I should go pro. So, um... Yeah, anyway, I actually decided to go away from being pro. Um, And yeah, having dogs definitely and picking up with dogs definitely gets you to the heart of what shooting and game is kind of all about because it is you are, you know, harvesting wild meat to eat and you're right at the heart of it when you are using dogs and picking games. That's part of it. Uh, I have only got one dog now. I sold a few of the dogs I had when I was working with Joe. So I've got a cheeky little red cocker called Lantern. Um, who, uh, yes, he's helpful with me most of the time, I would say. He's a good boy. Um, and now, so my favourite game meal. So for me, this would definitely be a venison wellington, which is pretty much the same as a beef wellington, um, apart from you use uh, two venison loins, which is the kind of very good cut along the back of the venison. Um, so, and if anyone doesn't know what that is, it's basically... Uh, the two loins with some pate and normally mushrooms, surrounded by pastry, and it is not actually as tricky as everyone thinks to do. Quite simple, and you can do a cheating version using pastry from the shop. So that works quite well. Um, and finally, a quick and easy pheasant recipe. Um, so this might be slightly unoriginal, but my favourite kind of quick, easy pheasant recipe and especially at the moment when everyone's missing their and d's 20 nugs uh is pheasant goujons so very simple and i'll be nice to post a wee thing on the game you march instagram about this so i will do that um but basically cut your pheasant into nice little strips pheasant breast um and then you've got three bowls one with flour one with uh beaten eggs and one with breadcrumbs and then in the flour just a little bit of whatever you like salt pepper could be chilli flakes. It could be any, any kind of spice you like. Um, dunk the, each bit first in the flour, then the egg, and then the breadcrumbs, and then a bit of oil in a frying pan, and fry them for a minute or two on each side until they're nice and golden, golden brown. Um, and then I th- that's me out of questions. My final question is just mic drop. So my mic drop will be, if anyone wants to get involved with Game Meat March, Uh, next year will be happening again but also throughout the year if you tag any sort of isolation creations you've been getting up to with game uh, we will share them and we'd love to see them so thank you very much and good night and there we go a young man making waves and making sense thanks for that harry
0: jim charlie and i will be releasing a topless calendar showing off our new shredded bodies courtesy of the cons consumption consumption of game and <laughs> along with the help of Joe Wicks are uh, going to be um, pretty raunchy yeah,
1: indeed Joe Wicks and, and game meat the perfect combination who would have thought for the perfect bod who would have thought indeed who would have thought but yeah we've been using pheasant quite regularly and partridge we've had some in the freezer uh, we're now out but one of our favourite recipes was um, uh, enchiladas or fenchiladas as they are now known to us um, delicious recipe and yes Harry if you're passing um, when restrictions are lifted, obviously, if you're passing by, we would love a, a, an emergency delivery of meat. That would be fabulous. That would be,
0: really, be really fabulous. I, of course, had the pleasure of working with Harry for a month or two at Sealpin Dogs. You did. And I can confirm by what Harry said about Lantern that he is a very cheeky little sod, but he's a really fantastic worker. Obviously trained to an incredibly high standard by Harry, but I've um, took him out beating a few times on Riddle and he was really, really fantastic. There was no cover that he was scared to go in and kind of flush everything out of. He was really fantastic. Really good fun.
1: Yeah, and it goes back to what we said in episode two about Cockers. Um, having the hearts of lions, and
0: Lantern certainly does. Yeah, he definitely embodies that. We won't be having Harry on our Pointer episode. No. We won't know. discuss why we won't be having him, but um, yeah. But but probably better left unsaid. I think so. I the think. the pointers he has had experience with have have certainly been
1: pretty wild. Um, so yeah. So we uh, Ben and I both think you should just stick with the spaniels, Harry. Yeah, I'm agreed. I'm agreed. Uh, um, something really resonated with us in what you, what Harry was saying there about being right at the heart of it when when you're shooting, and that's so true. You know, hunting and gathering game is kind of what it's all about. But if you're there with your, your dog that you spent a year or two training and the satisfaction you get, like you did with Reggie, when, you know, they pick their first partridge or pheasant, but they also the satisfaction when you get to then take it home. It's the kind of true meaning of, of shooting and hunting, being able to, to bring home the goods and, and be able to turn it into this lovely meal,
0: a lovely stew or anything you like. Exactly, Jim, exactly. So go give Harry's Instagram, at Game Meat March, a follow. He'll be posting up the pheasant goujon recipe up on there, along with He's got plenty of really delicious recipes up there as well. And if you're out of game like we are, then just sit tight till next season and give it a go then. It's now time for Ben and Jim's top trading tip. Tip, 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 tip. Our top tip for this week, well, it's more of a series of tips. A discussion on how to improve your dog's marking. If you're just getting to the point now where your dog's getting complete ass at marking a marking friend <laughs> dummy, which... We all go through at some point. Are you going through so, that right now, Ben? I'm going through that at the minute. Okay. And a lot of the time, it is down to a dog's natural ability, but we're going to discuss that. So please, Jim, kick us off. Kick us off.
1: Uh, so so our tips for, for improving marking uh, would be to start small. It's obviously, you know, It's the easiest thing to do, but it is the most important and most most effective thing to do. You can even if it's an older dog and you know, it has you know it's it, a couple of weeks ago was able to do really long marks, you know, sometimes they do digress a little bit. So you need to just you know cut it back, make it easy, you know, stay positive, build up from there. Even if it's just throw it rolling a little tennis ball and what letting them watch it bounce and then them going to pick it up. Another good thing is to throw dummies on the same line. So throw a dummy maybe five metres away, they run out, they pick that up, you praise them, you can take it back, they get back into your heel position, and then you throw it 10 metres, and they pick that, and then 15 metres, so each time they're following the same line, but they're watching everywhere it goes, so they don't really need to worry about the line they're taking, all they need, because they know, okay, I'm going to run that way, so all they need to focus on is the dummy. Um, the next Thing to to consider as well would be sending them when the dummy is coming down because if you let the dummy land and then send them, they might lose it over the terrain and you know the dog's viewpoint is much lower than yours. Whereas if you send them when it's falling, they can get a better mark on it because they're going to be closer to it when it lands. And just little things like that, just and then building up from there. So starting small, basic, and building up.
0: And I've I've been using that one. For A young retriever that I've been training, and it has really been working. she has now i think a good a dog that marks well will always find the most direct route, yeah, and that also helps when you're sending a dog on a memory or on a on a blind, you yeah. want them to run a straight line, you want to be able to point them and then run a straight line and trust you on that line. so if you can get a dog running a straight line on a mark, yeah, it equally trickle down training yeah. It trickles down through into the more difficult, more advanced stuff.
1: I would say so. Another little tip, which I was thought of as well, is using a, a, a slope, so a kind of a, a gradual downhill or even a reasonably steep one, because that way they can go a little bit further. So if you've got a dog that runs out and then stops just short of the mark, um, and you know is looking for it, you know maybe five meters short of the mark. If you throw it to the bottom of a slope. They'll run down the slope and they'll generally run a bit further that way, and they're more likely to find the find the dummy. Um, and also, if you you know do a couple there, they get more confident at running down. They're going to run down quicker, and there's more chance of them running on the line and finding
0: uh, finding the dummy. Another thing you can do is work somewhere where the grass is very short and the ground is very flat, and using big dummies that the dog can see. Ideally white. So if you don't have a white dummy, you can always buy a white sock, or even or blue or blue or yellow. Not red. Not red or orange. Because dogs do struggle to see quite. It's well, you've, not got as, a big, you've got a big orange
1: duck dummy, and the dogs really struggle to see that. It's good. yeah, it's, it's quite a, amazing. And
0: yours is more of an earthy color, but the fact that it's made it's like different colors over the wings and the. And the head and the body, the dogs just seem to be able to see it, like yeah. the contrast. Yeah. So even wrap a dummy in some tape, some different coloured tape, just so the contrasting colours, the dog can easily pick it out. Yeah. Which I find that's very interesting. A lot of the time you're told, oh, it's, you know, it's dogs live in a, you know, a grey, black and white world. You yeah. Know, and it's as far from that as possible. Yeah. It really is um, far more colourful, far more colourful, and um, a world of dog. Or that dog lives but in. But yeah,
1: somewhere somewhere short, you know, get out with your lawnmower before you do some marking retrieves and that'll help them massively. And then, you know, that's a good thing to do because if you do it on your front lawn, you know, every day, especially now with the sunshine, the grass is going to get a little bit longer so it's be- going to become a little bit harder for them to mark it. it. The dummy's not going to stick up above the grass and they're going to have to run there and, you know, work out when they get to the area and hunt up to it, um, which is good.
0: And always look to, uh, I think vary it so face one way throw a few marks face another way throw a few marks yeah exactly yeah. and if the dog begins to struggle that's when you that's when you introduce them running in when the when the dummy's still in the air and I like what, what I've said before with my the young retriever that I'm training the first few I will let her run in while the dummy's just about to hit the ground or even if it hits the ground and, and as it bounces back up that's when I'll send her yeah and then once uh, once I've done a few I'll let it drop give her a second and then send her yeah. They're just testing her brain a bit more, getting a, a bit more, bit more kind of a variant on it because a lot of the time I feel like if you keep doing the, keep doing the same thing with the dog, it's kind of like with a kid when you kind of teach a kid kind of simple math and you go, right, okay, there's two bricks here and two bricks there, add them together, what do you get? Yeah. It goes, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. At least you say, right, it's four. And then if you do the exact same thing again, the kid goes, okay, it's four. There you go, the kid's getting it now. Yeah. Do the exact same, exact same thing again. The kid goes, right, that's four. And that's when they start to get a little bit frustrated. Yeah. They start to get a little bit bored. And that's when you find that with dogs. Just look to vary it a, a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you, know, you need to do it a couple of times, but then you know, vary where you're doing and what exercise you're doing for sure.
0: And then you can always go back as well. Exactly. Go that's back to what they know. You can, yeah. you can move away C- from it test and go back later,
1: later in the day on the same thing. You you want to make sure you're you're kind of keeping it happening often as well. That's the other thing as well. Don't just do it once or twice and think, "Oh, that's it. They will go. They can mark now." You know, keep at it. You know, like a slightly older kid doing times tables. The more you know, times table questions they get asked. Whether it's in the morning when they're having their breakfast with the family before they go to school, whether it's at school, whether it's in the evening, whether it's on the weekend. You know the more they get asked time-stable questions, the better they're going to know their time-stable. So as as much as you can, you know, get out and just a few marks here, a few marks there, and then, you know, back inside, and then you can go out later and try it again. So do you think marking is a sign of intelligence in a dog, based upon the fact that some dogs, like any, like people as well, like in, in, in anything, in any subject or, you know, profession, some dogs are just naturally better at things than others, whether it's hunting or swimming or uh, jumping or running or stamina, anything like that. There are dogs that are are born much more natural with their marking ability. Do you think that's a sign of greater intelligence?
0: Yes and no. I'm going to be cryptic here. No. Okay. Because I do believe that a smart dog can hold the information of a mark better. It can... Re- it looks... It reads the ground better. But I also think that a dog... Do you that, think Do you
1: think when a dog sees a mark, it's like Alan from The Hangover, when he just sees all these numbers, numbers. calculating <laughs> the ground, the, the terrain,
0: the trajectory... The wind speed, exactly, the The, the, uh, the conditions. Yeah, I, 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 and you can tell a smart dog, and, I, and I, there's a really good book that we're going to touch on next week called gundog sense and sensibility and i swear by this book absolutely swear by it by wilson steven he he, um, he says that what his springer could hold up to five marks yeah and i, I and there's plenty of dogs i know that can't even hold one mark in their brain without kind of losing it and and it turning to them it t- basically to them it turns into a blind yeah or it turns into a memory which never goes well. I know a few dogs that can hold up to five pretty well. Yeah. So I do believe it's down to a smart dog. But I also believe a dog that has loads of self-confidence and not so much the, the brain power will just go for it. Yeah. And again, it's it's about knowing the difference between those types of dogs. Yeah. And you can, t- you can, you can, you uh, can. When you know your dog, you know the difference. Yeah, I suppose this debate maybe goes back to
1: um, a very common debate in dogs, which is nature versus nurture, and um, we'll discuss that at some in a future podcast, I think, because there's a lot to be said about that. But that's kind of the gist of what we're saying here. Is that, you know, some, you know, yes, they're 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 born good at marking, and you know, have that ability, and are smarter, but you know with a bit of training there's no reason why you can't you know create a dog that's good at marking therefore a dog that is has got increased intelligence you know you're you're training them to be smarter
0: flexing those gray cells exactly you're
1: you're you know that's you're exercising their brain and that's the, the main muscle that you're working when you're training your dog is not their legs it is their brain
0: improving their intelligence and even if they don't become a great a great marker, which many dogs aren't do, doing these gr- drill drills. You can still have your dog run the straight line to to the point of the drop, yeah. And the dog will find it. Therefore, you're basically just teaching your dog just to run a straight line, and he'll find they will find what you sent them out for. So either way, these drills are either going to increase their marking or just make their their line running that much sharper and better.
1: Definitely. So there we go, our, our our tips for improving marking and a bonus discussion. So there we go, episode four done for another week. Completed or it, mate. Four, maybe. No, we're going to try and get the next one out to you a bit sharper than, than this one. Get and back on track, back, back on the horse. Exactly, yeah. So... Uh, back on the beaters wagon
0: hey you don't use that in a while no, I haven't, haven't used that in four episodes three episodes yeah, it feels like ages ago as well like, we were much younger then I far more know. innocent <laughs> um, yeah so we've got some good
1: things coming up um, we won't disclose of any information on Uh, what's to come we haven't quite figured out next week's uh, podcast yet um, but uh, it's going to be a good
0: one and just to remind you we do have an instagram now so go give us a follow at the gundog podcast yeah and don't forget to also follow at smokeless uk to get all your shooting
1: clothing and equipment as well as at game meet march for all your recipes cheers guys see you later